Thank you, Pastor Silver. Open your Bible tonight, please, to the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 21, chapter 21. You know, it's interesting to note that the entire book of Revelation is mainly dealing with the seven years of the tribulation that is yet to come. And just a few verses really about the thousand year millennial reign of Christ. And just a few verses about the eternal state after that. And so I'd like to suggest to you that we could therefore assume that the eternal state, which is what we're starting to deal with now here, the eternal state is something that we really don't need to know a whole lot about. Not like the tribulation, for example. Now, as you know, um, Christ is coming to take his bride away before the tribulation begins. Bible says we've been saved from wrath and tribulation is a time of God's wrath on earth. No reason at all for the church to go through the tribulation. We've gone through 2000 years of persecution and the Lord is going to come and take us home. Hallelujah. But there's going to be a lot of people get saved in the tribulation. And those dear folks are really going to need everything they could possibly get. And they're going to find it in the book of revelation. There is so much in the book of revelation that deals with the tribulation um, time. Uh, So there's only really a few verses that deal with the eternal state. I imagine that one of the reasons also is that uh, it's a whole new dimension folks. And I'm not sure that we'd be able to understand even if God explained it to us. Now, um, as far as history goes, approximately 6,000 years ago, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I know that doesn't, you know, fly too well with a lot of the modern ideas of um, billions of years and, you know, evolution and so on. But that's beside the point. Uh, The Bible indicates to us that about 6,000 years ago, God created the heaven and the earth and everything that's in them. And he did it in six days, too. And then we read back in Genesis, uh, let's see, chapter three, where... um, Satan tempted Eve and of course she gave to Adam and they both did sin. And so death passed upon all the human race as a result of that. Now this is nothing new. You're all familiar with this. Adam and Eve, of course, were expelled from the garden and over the next approximate 1600 years, the population grew at a tremendous pace. People lived a long, long time. Uh, in those days, but the number of unsaved and wicked people can quickly outnumbered the number of saved people. And by the time you get to Genesis chapter six, which is, as I say, around 1600 years, maybe 1500, the only saved people left on the planet are eight souls, Noah and his wife, their three sons and their wives. Those are the only righteous ones in in the eyes of the Lord. And so uh, at about 2350 BC, approximate God destroyed the entire world with an entire world flood. The flood went everywhere, not just local, but everywhere all over the earth. And what God did was he began again. He started over again with Noah and his family. Now this time there was more hope. And of course, our savior came 2000 years ago to die for our sins upon the cross. However, this old world is fast wearing out. It's wearing itself to pieces. 
and the coming seven years tribulation will, will witness its demise. But God is planning something new, which is what we'll be talking about tonight. And this is going to be after the second coming of Christ back to earth at the end of the tribulation, uh, after the slaying of all earth's unsaved wicked, after the binding of Satan for a thousand years, after the millennial kingdom, millennium meaning a thousand, after the thousand year reign of Christ, after the great white throne judgment of all the unsaved who've ever lived. And God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And you might ask why? Why? I believe because God is going to introduce a final, timeless creation of God, man and angels, all living in perfect harmony and joy. I think that's what he's got in mind. The present earth has a history of sin. We know that. And uh, the present heaven also, believe it or not, has uh, a history of Satan and his awful sinful uprising. And so God's going to get rid of them all. And he's going to start again with an unblemished earth and heaven. So we'll be looking at the new heaven and earth tonight. Let's have a word of prayer first. Our loving heavenly father, we thank you for the whole blessed Bible and this book of revelation, as we've been studying it chapter by chapter and verse by verse, all this year has certainly been a blessing. And it just reminds us that this world is not our home and that our home is in heaven with you. And our father, we ask for grace and wisdom and understanding tonight. Please use the scriptures to get a hold of our hearts. Help us to be more like you, what you want us to be. And we'll thank and praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Chapter 21 and verse number one, John writes, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Now this seems to be a prophecy from the book of Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Let me read it for you. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. As I mentioned earlier, God is going to recreate the heaven and the earth. It is on his, his uh, timetable. In uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, we have these verses. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. All around us today, we're seeing it with forest fires and with hurricanes and with COVIDs. And we're seeing it with a financial meltdown. And we're seeing it with the saber rattling of the nuclear uh, nations of the world who are threatening each other and so on. Pol politics are, are a fiasco all over the world. The whole planet is convulsing. Everything is, uh, is shaking itself to pieces. And it's going to get worse in the tribulation. If we think it's bad now, the tribulation is going to really decimate the whole earth. Uh, you're, you're in comparison by the time the tribulation is nearing the end. We're living in the garden of Eden. Even in these crazy mixed up days today, it's going to be that bad 
in the time of the tribulation. Now, it says here in chapter 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven, first earth were passed away. Now, you might wonder, how is that going to happen? Well, if you put your uh, marker or you put your finger there in Revelation 21, turn back to 2 Peter, would you? So don't go too, too far. 2 Peter chapter 3. Give you just a second to find that. I believe that this answers it for us. 2 Peter chapter 3, please look at verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wow, that's a very telling portion of scripture here. And I think it does shed light upon what God is going to do. Now, some speculate that God will use all of the nuclear bombs of the world to bring about all of this uh, fiery uh, destruction and restoration. Uh, I don't think so, because we got a thousand year millennial kingdom in there in which they're going to beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So what do you think they're going to do with the nuclear weapon? They're going to you know, cease to be. This is after all of that stuff. Listen, it's nothing for God to bring fire from heaven. If God created the heavens and the earth and all the planets and stars and all that, it's nothing for God just to snap his finger and with intense fervent heat to burn up, you know, the world, the heaven, and he'll just start new. You see, he started with nothing. Isn't that right? We believe in creation ex nihilo, out of nothing. That's creation. Men can take elements and put them together and say they've created something, but only God can create something out of nothing. That's the kind of God we have. And so it won't be any problem for him. But it's very interesting that uh, Peter should say, in the light of all this, what manner of persons ought ye to be? This world is not our home. Let's, let's not figure that, you know, we're going to be here, you know, for forever or, or something. This place is, is going, it's on its way out. And so it's not like we're putting in time. Folks, we have a job to do. We're serving the King of Kings. So we always must be about our father's business because one day before we know it, he's going to call us home. Say, how is he going to do that? Well, he'll either do that through the rapture, oh, happy day, or it may be through the kindly hand of death. And uh, God takes most of his uh, children home through the kindly hand of death. So one way or the other, we're going home. We're only here a short time. And so let's give it our best. Now we go back here to Revelation 21 and the verse finishes with some interesting words. And there was no more sea. So no more oceans. Now, if you take away the sea, then you can't have the whales, can you? Because the whales, they kind of like to live in the sea. No more sharks, no more fish. 
at least the saltwater ones, at least anyhow. I did a little look up here and I thought, uh, I wonder uh, how much of the earth's surface right now is water. Now, maybe some of you know this, but I had to look it up. 71% of the earth's surface is water. Now, the fresh water is just a small little bit of it. Uh, but over 95% of that 71%, over 95% is salt water. So the greater, the vast greater majority of the water in the earth is the oceans. Now, why would God get rid of the oceans? Well, one thought is that it'll make for more dry land. If the uh, earth, if the new earth, the new heavens, new earth, if the new earth is going to be approximately the same size as this one that we've got right now, it's going to increase the, the living capacity tremendously. Say, why does God want all that land? He doesn't tell us. <laughs> That's why I say there's not a whole lot in the scriptures here on the new heaven and new earth. And I think it's because we probably wouldn't understand even if he told us. It would be like a, a scientist, you know, coming to us and trying to explain. I remember they used to have a commercial on television decades ago. Remember the little Cadbury caramel bars with the little squares of chocolate and the caramel inside? You remember those? Yes? No? How many have ever eaten a Cadbury ca ca caramel? Yeah, right. Okay, well, most of you have, I think. And the commercial was funny. It was, you know, how do they get the caramel inside those little squares. And so they brought on this professor and he said uh, that he would explain it. Creating Cadbury caramel bars is based on a state of inertia, which develops a centrifugal force and remains the same in a changed condition through the cooling off tunnel. And this precipitates that very same matter. Thank you. And you're still left all puzzled, you know, with question marks. What did that man just say? Well, if God were to sit down and try to explain to us the new heaven and new earth, We'd say, huh? <laughs> because I don't think we're going to get it. It's a whole new dimension. So we're given a little bit of an insight here. But God apparently, in his infinite wisdom, knows that we got to get rid of the ocean. And so that's what he's going to do. There's going to be no more need for it in the new heaven and new earth. Now, verse number two. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, if the whole earth is going to be recreated, so is Jerusalem. And here we have New Jerusalem. And it will be so exciting. It will be so fresh. It's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, you know, weddings, you know, we're all waiting there in anticipation for the arrival of the bride, right? And she's just, you know, as beautiful as can be in her gown and her hair and, uh, you know, jewelry, makeup, her nails, everything is just as perfect as can be. Well, here we have that uh, used now to describe the new Jerusalem. And it's going to come down out of heaven and it's going to be all wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It's going to be so exciting. The new Jerusalem is not the bride, the bride of Christ is his people. But you see, it's adorned as a bride. It's prepared as a bride, I should say. It's prepared as a bride. And so this is going to be coming down. Now, verse three, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men 
and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. We have here a new oneness with God that we've never known before. This is a whole new concept, a whole new dimension that has not happened ever before. This is going to be a whole new way of life for us, folks. This is going to be something totally phenomenal and exciting. And God has it in store. I'm reminded of the, uh, uh, the transformation that happens when a caterpillar gets ready to change and it spins itself a little cocoon, a silk cocoon. And then after a period of time, it starts poking through. It's no longer a caterpillar. It's undergone a transformation, a total transformation. It went in a caterpillar. It came out a butterfly, a gorgeous butterfly. And this, in, in my heart anyhow, helps me to appreciate what God is going to be doing. Because this verse 3 here, when he says here that uh, uh, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people and he him and God himself shall be with them and be their God. This is a new way of life for all born again, all saved, all believers here on earth right now, folks, we, we get tired. We get tired every single day of our lives. We get tired. We get hungry every single day of our lives. Not every day, but many days we get discouraged we get blue, as they sometimes say. We get ill. We get sick. And we die. Well, over there in that day, we will never feel those things ever, ever, ever again. We will never be discouraged. We will never feel the blues. We will never, for some reason, we can't understand it. We just kind of feel grumpy or something, you know. We have these things happen to us now. These things will never, ever, ever plague us over there. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in his tabernacle and then in his temple, but no one could get in to see him except the high priest. He was the only one allowed to come in once a year for just a couple of moments, you know, to do the sprinkling of the sacrificial blood. And that was it. And he had to get out. That was in the Old Testament. Now in the New Testament, through the Lord Jesus Christ, God comes and dwells inside us. And that's great, isn't it? It's wonderful. However, we still drag around the old man, you know, the old nature. And so we still get persnickety and we still say things we regret and we still do things that we wish we hadn't. And, you know, we got the sin nature problem that we have to deal with. We seem to have the new nature and the old nature all in the one body. Well, in this coming day, um, the union is going to be so phenomenal, so fantastic. In that day, there'll be a total union. It will be absolutely complete. And we just have, as I say, a few verses in the scripture just to whet our appetites here for this. Now in verse four, it says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away. Now, right now we experience all those things, sorrow and tears, pain and death. We experience all those things. 
during the tribulation. Those things will be multiplied times 10,000. Christ comes back to earth. All of the unsaved are put to death. The antichrist is thrown in the lake of fire. Hooray. False prophet goes in plop with him, you know, plop, plop, fizz, fizz into the lake of fire. And then Christ sets up his millennial kingdom, thousand year kingdom. All of the people that are remain still on earth at the end of the tribulation, their bodies will be changed. They'll enter into the millennial kingdom with Christ. They'll be able to live a thousand years. The Lord will set up garden of Eden conditions. The, the desert will blossom as a rose. The lion and the lamb will lay down together. It's just going to be phenomenal. You know, the poisonous snake called an asp, ASP, a child will be able to put his hand on that or down into the cockatrice den and no problem at all. You know, children's hands can get into some pretty strange places. Did you know that? Yes or no? Yeah. Okay. All right. Your eyes are open. I just wanted to make sure, <laughs> you know, the lights are on. I want to make sure everyone's home. <laughs> uh, yesterday, I got uh, all of a sudden, my phone, my phone went off and it was an emergency text from my wife. And it was basically saying, I, help, I'm in trouble, SOS. And, you know, my heart skips a beat. Oh, no, oh, no. And so I, I tried calling her, her phone right away and it went to voicemail. And then just a short bit after I got another text, you know, help. I'm at this address. <laughs> I'm dying inside. And I, so I finally, I knew that she was out there with uh, Becky and Justin. So I got Justin on the phone and he says, hello. And I said, Justin, I said, is mom okay? Well, I think so. She's right here. Do you want to talk to her? <laughs> I said, yes, please. <laughs> so I talked to her and she said, what? Oh no, I'm sorry. And she had given her phone to one of the grandkids to play with her watch phone. She's got a watch. I, listen, yeah, you know, I, I'll go along with things, you know, <laughs> best I can. I want to keep my wife happy. <laughs> oh, 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 he's still my heart. She says, here, you can play with this. She takes this thing off and gives it to the grandkid. Grandkids pushing buttons, hasn't a clue what he's doing. Apparently hit and, and held this button. And when you do that, it sends an SOS message. Help, help, I'm in trouble. So, oh boy. Um, sorry, I got a little bit bunny trailed there with that. But I was telling you, I was trying to tell you that right now we experience all of these uh, sorrows and heartaches. They'll be multiplied in the tribulation. We go into the millennial kingdom and the saved people will have babies. These babies will need to be grow up, of course, and they'll need to be saved. But many won't be. Many won't be. And, um, oh, yes, the, the child will be able to put his hand on his grandmother's cell phone and not cause a problem. That's where we were going. So, uh, come the end of the millennial kingdom, a thousand years, Earth's population has just gone sky high. And so then the devil's let loose and then he can see right away who's saved and who's not saved. Now that's scary. The devil can see that. There are some people who are not saved. They go to church and they 
They want everyone to think they're saved. So the devil can see they're not saved. Anyhow, the end of the millennial kingdom, he's going to rally all these people up and he's going to bring them to attack the holy city there with Jesus. And they'll, they'll be put to death instantly. Now, in the light of all of that, um, there's going to be a few tears. There has to be. Of course, there's death right there, right? There's going to be the occasional death through the millennial kingdom, but that'll only be because of uh, out, outright rebellion against the Lord Jesus. He will rule with a rod of iron and sin will just be put down right away. Wickedness. So uh, there's going to be some tears particularly saved moms and dads and grandmas and great, great, great grandmas and their kids are not saved and end up, you know, with that mob trying to attack Jesus and they're put to death and there's going to be some tears that's going to happen. And so uh, the Lord here, God himself is going to wipe away all of those tears. He's going to wipe away all of the sorrow. So then we get to verse five. And he says, uh, it says here, and he that sat upon the, the throne said, behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, right, for these words are true and faithful. Now, when he says he's going to make all things new, what he's referring to are the things in heaven and earth. It's the new heaven and the new earth. He's not talking about the lake of fire, right? Because that's, that's not really part of earth is not part of heaven, the lake of fire. He's not going to remake that. That's going to stay the same. And something else I want to remind you that's going to remain the same. And that's the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 24, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Isn't that good to know? Amen. We have a book that's going to outlive Shakespeare. <laughs> Every other book ever written by man is going up in smoke. But God's book is eternal. Amen. That's good to know. Uh, it is our anchor, if you will. So um, then right away, uh, John is told to write and assure the readers that these things will happen. And so it says, write for these words are true and faithful. Verse six. And he said unto me, it is done. I am alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. So this tells us that all essentially all of God's plans will find their final issue in the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is alpha. He is omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the first and he is the last. And all of God's plans really are going to have their finale here in the Lord Jesus. Verse seven, he that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Now we've seen that phrase before several times. In fact, now, I'd like you to go back to chapter two of Revelation chapter two. And let's just take a quick boo at uh, these words. He that overcometh in chapters two and three, we have the seven letters to the seven churches and these, led, these churches were, I guess, pretty, pretty different. The only thing really they had in common pretty much was the, the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. They were different churches. And just as people are different with different personalities, different uh, 
uh, fingerprints were different like snowflakes, right? They say no two snowflakes are the same. Whether that's true, only God knows. That's what they say. No two churches seem to be the same either. They can have the same Lord Jesus and the same Bible, but they can be a little different. And there's nothing wrong with that. That seems to be God's design. It's like two families. Two families. They have a mom and a dad. They have uh, children, maybe the same number of children. Maybe they both have a cat and a dog. But that's about as far as the similarities go because they're different. They'll eat different food. They have different habits. They decorate their homes differently. Hmm? And there's nothing wrong with the differences amongst the Lord's churches. As long as we keep the Lord in his rightful place, he is Lord and we need to submit to his Lordship every day. The problem I think comes when we stop submitting on a daily basis to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's when we start to get, you know, irritated and persnickety and well, I don't know about this and about that and what she said and what he said. That's I think what the devil uses in a lot of good churches. So as long as we can just keep surrendered, submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ every day, keep walking with Jesus, keep reading the scriptures and praying, keep our eyes upon the Savior. And I think we're going to do all right. I really do. And so here we have in chapter two and three, these letters, these seven different churches, seven different letters. But look at this chapter two, verse seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh. Will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, each one of these letters seems to have also an appeal at the end or some encouragement at the end toward uh, salvation. And look at verse 11. Now we're on to the next church, Smyrna. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. Look at verse 17. He that hath an ear, let him hear. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone. Look at verse 26. Uh, he that overcometh um, and keepeth my works unto the end, him will I give power over the nations. Look at chapter 3 and verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. Look at verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. Uh, he shall no more go out. Did I get that right? He shall go no more out. <laughs> Third time lucky. Has <laughs> that ever happened to you? <laughs> I guess it happens to all of us. So what does this mean? It essentially means that those that are saved are the overcomers. Those that are not saved will be overcome by everything you can think of the world, the flesh and the devil, all of the temptation. But those that are saved, that are born again, those are the ones that overcome. Uh, there's a big difference between saved people and unsaved people. Just like there's a difference between night and day, between life and death. There's a dis big difference between saved and unsaved people. And saved people have evidences of life. You know, some of the, uh, the ways we know people are living is that their eyes are open, they're breathing, their heart is beating, they have brain waves, they uh, express themselves, right? These are all evidences of physical life. 
And there are plenty of evidences of spiritual life. And so someone who is saved has those evidences. And those are the ones that do the overcoming. The unsaved are the ones who are overcome. So that's the difference here. And if you go back now to chapter 21 and verse seven, he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, of course, and he shall be my son. Absolutely. Now these will inherit all things right now. Sometimes we get a little anxious and we say, Oh, I don't have one of these. And Oh, just one day, maybe I'll have one of those or something. And we needn't be anxious whatsoever. Let's never be anxious over the things of this world, because according to the word of God, not just here, but in other places, God is promising us that we will inherit all things. Now, someone might think, well, I don't want to have to wait, you know, all these years in the thousand year millennial kingdom and then finally get, I want it now. Well, that's where we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. Because if we're not walking with the Lord, we're going to let our desires get out of control. And when desires get out of control, they become lusts. That's what lusts are, is desires that are out of control. You don't seem to have any control over these things. Then the desire becomes a lust. The word desire means that you want something that's out of your reach, out of your grasp. You can't reach and grab it because if you could, you'd have it, but it's out of your grasp. Literally, the word means to, you know, reach for the stars. It's beyond your, your grasp. That's the word desire, desire. It's something out of your grasp. Everyone's got desires. Everyone, 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 everyone. And some of those desires are good. And some of those desires really may not be so good, but they're out of our grasp. You see, and we have to continually surrender to the Lord. Otherwise, these things are going to get the better of us. That's why some people become thieves because they want money. They don't have money. They can't get money. So they steal it. Some of them become murderers for money. You know, the love of money really is the root of all evil, isn't it? All kinds of evil too. All right. Well, we get to verse eight and this is where we're going to be finishing off here tonight. And verse number eight but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so here's the sad ending, sad, sad ending for all men, women, and young people who refuse God, their maker. They refuse his gracious offer of becoming his child through the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, means to die and go to hell, but have everlasting life. Uh, so this is the sad ending of all those who refuse um, to even want to know God, I suppose. But I want you to notice before God says these, these uh, sad words here in verse eight, if you, if you go back to verse six, look what he's just done again. You see, grace always comes before judgment. And look at the second part of verse six. I, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. 
God is making another offer there. And by the way, at the end of revelation in chapter 22, he makes another offer. Whosoever, you know, will may come right. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it's just interesting that before we have verse eight with its sad, sad pronunciation upon the lost, that just two verses earlier, he's giving another invitation to unsaved men to repent. Now, if you look at this little list here in verse eight, it says the fearful, uh, those might be better understood as cowards, the cowardly. They appear to be afraid, fearful that perhaps they'll be threatened with harm or perhaps death. Should they choose the Lord Jesus in the tribulation? Antichrist will pressure people to take the mark of the beast, the six, 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 and will straight up tell them you cannot buy, you cannot sell. Well, a lot of people are going to take the mark right there. Oh, oh, they say, can't buy, can't buy food, can't sell, can't sell my house. Oh, not good. I better take the mark. And of course, there's going to be other repercussions. Uh, people who do not take the mark are going to be considered enemies of the one world order, the one world government. And so they'll be targeted and, you know, put to death. Martyrdom. Boy, it's happening today martyrdom around the world. Maybe hundreds are being martyred. I don't know. Maybe thousands. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure hundreds are being martyred on a yearly basis around the world because of their faith. But in the tribulation, it's going to be multiplied millions and millions and millions that will be martyred. Not a pretty sight, but here the fearful, those who are too, too, uh, too scared to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they're fearing for their own skin, I suppose. You know, we're not supposed to fear him who can kill the body. We're supposed to fear him who can kill body and soul in hell. That's what Jesus said. Then he says the unbelieving. These are people who do not believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, no, no, they say. There's, there's many ways to get to heaven. And the false prophet here and the antichrist are going to show me how to get to heaven. <laughs> what an idiot. And so here's the unbelieving. The abominable the murderers, the whoremongers. These are the morally depraved sinners. By the way, the word whoremonger, a monger is someone who's like a, a retailer or a wholesaler and deals with things like a fishmonger. Uh, that was a very common term. I think it still is over in parts of Britain, a fishmonger. It's where you would go to uh, buy fish. A whoremonger, guess what you'd go and buy? Well, they're out there, folks. They're around the world. These pimps, these ones that deal in this wicked business, they're out there and they're going to continue to, to be there right through the tribulation. Those that are abominable, murderers, whoremongers. And then he deals with the sorcerers. And those are the people who deal with the black arts, be it imitation. They want you to think that they have powers of the devil. They're good magicians or they're actually in league somehow with uh, demonic things. But the sorcerers, they're going to end up in the lake of fire. Idolaters, those who cling to their little false gods and they worship idols. And then the last one, and this is a startling revelation, liars, liars. How do you feel when you're talking to someone and you know that they're lying to you? You know 
They're lying to you. How does that make you feel? With little wee children, it can be cute. I saw a video this past week about a little boy in a car seat in the back seat of the car, and he had blueberry all over his mouth. And his daddy said to him, uh, I think his little boy's name was Eric, I think. I'm probably wrong, but he said, Eric, did you have a, did you have a blueberry muffin? No. So the little boy said, just as straight-faced as can be. <laughs> the evidence is all over him, you know. Are you sure you didn't have a blueberry? No. The little kid said, I wasn't even in the house. And his dad asked him like four, five, six times every time. No, no. And the caption was, this kid would make a good politician. But liars, liars. Did you know Satan is a liar? Did you know that? The Bible says, Jesus said he is the father of all lies. He is a liar right from the beginning. He told Eve lies. And he tells us lies too. That's one way that he turns husbands against wives. He turns parents against children, children against parents, because he feeds them lies. That's way he how he turns church members against each other, or church people against pastors, or even pastors against church people. It's because of Satan's lies, and we believe him. Well, we can either believe the lie or we can believe the truth. That comes down to us, folks. We have to choose. What are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the lie or are we going to believe the truth? If you're born again, the truth is you are a child of God. The lie is, no, you can't be a child of God because you just had a bad thought or you said a bad word. You know, you don't feel like a child of God, do you? Therefore, you're not a child of God. It's not based on that, is it? It's based upon the fact that you repented of your sins, that you understood you were on your way to hell. You repented of your sins and you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who died on the cross, was buried and rose again. And he's knocking on your heart's door. And your job is to turn and repent from sin and to trust him with all your heart to be your savior. And if you'll do that, the Lord says, I will come in and I'll forgive your sin and I'll save you. I'll be your Lord. I'll be your, your best friend. I'll take you to heaven. That's the transaction upon which salvation is based. Not upon how you're feeling some days. So the devil is the master of deception. That's exactly what lying is, by the way. It's deception, isn't it? And the devil is a deceiver. Well, all of these will have their part in the lake of fire where Satan is will be, I should say, and the Antichrist and the false prophet. And their eternal doom and torment will be forever and ever. The lake of fire is not a place of annihilation where after God throws a sinner in, you know, they're gone. It's not that at all. They're still there. And they'll remain there forever and ever and ever. That's pretty hard news. Pretty, pretty sad news. Is God unjust? No. Absolutely not. He is absolutely just, but he has to punish sin. And either that sin, either you have to pay for the sin yourself or the savior pays for it. And that's what salvation is. When you allow the savior to pay your sin. And so it finishes off with these final words in verse eight. 
concerning the lake of fire, which is the second death. This is the second and final separation from God, because that's what death is, folks. Death is separation. You've heard me say this numerous times. I think physical death is where the soul separates from the body. That's physical death. Spiritual death is where the soul separates from God. And the first spiritual death is here on earth when we are young and we commit our first sins and we die. And Paul spoke of that. He said, I was alive once and then sin, sin revived and I died. That's what Paul said. And so we are sinners by birth. Yes, we are, but we're sinners by choice as well. And so that's the first spiritual death. And then this is the second spiritual death or separation, if you will, where the lost soul now is separated from God forever and ever and ever for all eternity in the lake of fire. Conclusion, beloved, who knows how much time we have left in order to serve the Lord. I believe with all my heart, victory is coming. Victory's coming one day. It's coming by and by. Let's not give up. Let's not hang loose. Let's not slack off. Let's not quit. Let's do everything we can to try and reach the city that God's put us in, the city of Surrey, with the 600,000 people and growing. They're putting up more condos, more high-rises, more duplexes, more townhouses, lots more building, and they're being bought up. Population of this town is going up. Let's do everything we can to make sure that Surrey gets a chance to hear the gospel. And let's do everything we can through our missionaries to make sure the whole world gets a chance to hear the gospel. Let's keep on supporting missions. Let's keep on taking on new missionaries as God enables us. Let's do this with all our heart. Keep supporting missionaries. I encourage you to sign up and come this Saturday for the Soul Winners Academy refresh course. Learn how to share your faith. Take a refresher course. It's this Saturday. Go online to our website and you'll see it there. And sign up and come. I want to encourage you to keep praying for the 104 building. Whether it's God's will or not. We want to find out if it's God's will. That's what I'm trying to say. Keep praying for God's will concerning that building. With that building we will instantly have the whole attention of all of the people in Surrey and we'll be able to direct them to our website where they can see the gospel for themselves. So we'll be able to reach the city pretty quick with that building, plus do a whole lot of other wonderful things. Well, that's all we want to say for tonight. And God willing, next time we're going to pick up and we may be able to finish off this chapter as we talk about uh, the new Jerusalem. That is coming. Let's bow for prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, with these thoughts and scriptures in our hearts and minds, please encourage us to be more faithful, more loving, more obedient to you than ever before. We're so thankful for your grace and your mercy in our lives and how wonderful you are to us. Lord, have thine own way, please, in our hearts and lives and use us for the furtherance of your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.